Hello and welcome to this episode of Travel Stories from the Back Again and God podcast being recorded in the beautiful Hampton and Suites, Dublin, Georgia. Tonight, we're talking about the towns I like, and that town is Nashville, Tennessee. Thanks for listening. Hello. If you are a new listener, welcome. If you are a returning listener, welcome back. And like I had said in the intro, tonight, the town I like is Nashville, Tennessee. But first, a quick trip around the interwebs. From Boing Boing, we get this. Target offers waste-up styles for video conferencing. From the virtual meetings to family time, find waste-up styles that elevate your favorite comfy bottoms. Guess what, world? Welcome to the 2020 pandemic. I keep three-collared logo-embroidered shirts close at hand for any last-minute web meetings. A couple weekends ago, I added a credenza or a sideboard. I don't know. I guess depending on where you're from is what you call it. But basically, it's a hutch that holds stuff. And the centerpiece is my humidor that has this beautiful reflective mirrored front. And let's just say by mid-afternoon on Monday, my co-workers knew that I wore gym shorts when working from home, probably predicting that this is the 2020 version of the mullet instead of business in the front, party in the back. This is business up top, party on the bottom. And that actually sounds like some kind of category you might find on a odd or uh, adult website. Local news station Click Orlando gives us this. This is sketchy. Video shows manhunt for trespasser on Disney World Island, Lake Buena Vista, Florida. More than a dozen Orange County Sheriff's deputies swarmed a shuttered Walt Disney World theme park last April trying to locate a trespasser accused of camping on the island at the resort. Richard McGuire, age 42, was arrested last April for allegedly camping at Disney's former Discovery Island Zoological Park while the entire resort was closed due to the coronavirus. I've made no secret about it. I do not possess the I have to go to Disney chip. Actually, we were at Disney Springs this past weekend, and I told the cashier the same thing. She was less than impressed. However, this is intriguing. Discovery Island closed in 1999, and it was originally labeled as Treasured Island, a pirate-themed island, of course, inspired by the Disney film. Treasure Island. The island's been closed to the public until McGuire decided to venture into urban outdoorsman status and cop a squat, so to speak. They've actually recently posted a video up on YouTube that will bring you nothing but smiles to your faces. Check it out. I'll put a link in the show notes. Boing Boing comes back at us again with this one. Pilots over LAX report a guy in a jetpack flying beside them. August 30th, an American Airlines pilot reported a guy in a jetpack flying beside them above LAX. The sighting was confirmed by yet another commercial pilot. The transcript goes on something like this. American Flight 1997, Tower, American 1997. We just passed a guy in a jetpack. Tower, American 1997. Okay, thank you. Were they off to your left or your right side? American Flight 1997 comes back. On the left side, maybe 300 yards or so, but at our altitude. Like I said, this was reported by two different flights at an altitude of 3,000 feet. One hell of a jetpack and in the flight pattern of LAX, dear God. But the best part was when the tower says, okay, thank you. That seals the deal. That dude was as calm as a cucumber. Also, David Blaine just took 52 balloons up to a height of 25,000 feet a few weeks ago before plummeting back to Earth with a parachute. So you're saying there's a chance. 
on to tonight's topic, the town I like, Nashville, Tennessee. A couple facts, 2020 population about 1.9 million, 22% have a high school education, 25% possess a bachelor's degree. The average earnings is right around 37000 which I found a little bit low. Uh, my wife and I have looked at housing up there a couple times over the past few years and doing the old three times income. That doesn't buy much of a house from what we saw. Maybe if you combine it with a spouse, it gets you a little bit more buying power. But still, I just find that a little bit low. The temperature in January is between 30 and 50 for July at 70 to 90. It's the South. That's pretty much how the temperature swings. A few Nashville did you knows. In this first one I've talked about in the past, you'll often hear Nashville referred to as Nash Vegas. And it comes from all the neon along the lower Broadway Street, making it appear as a miniature Las Vegas. Nashville has a centennial park, and it is home to the only replica of the Greek Parthenon. And a sculpture of Arthena Parthonis inside the Parthenon is the tallest indoor sculpture in the Western Hemisphere at 42 feet high. If you look up in the sky, it's not a bird, it's a plane, but it's the AT&T Tower, which is also named the Batman Building because of its resemblance to bat ears. Goo Goo, the iconic local candy, is made of this wonderful caramel, marshmallow, milk chocolate, and of course peanuts. The name is believed to stand for the Grand Old Opry. Goo Goo, Grand Old Opry, makes sense. The Doubletree cookies are actually made in Nashville. They are, in fact, come from Christie's Cookies, a famous Nashville cookie company. In this past weekend when we were at uh, Disney Springs, we stayed at the Doubletree and managed to stock up on our share of Doubletree chocolate chip cookies. There are more than 150 live music venues in Nashville. Those that feature live music four or more nights per week get to display a very special sign shaped like a guitar pick in their window or out front. Next question you're going to ask is, how do I get there? Getting there from Central Florida by car is up I-75, merge onto I-24 just south of uh, Chattanooga, and 10 hours later, you'll be in Nashville. This is one of those that I would probably fly to, and there is just a deluge of daily two-hour flights direct from Orlando into Nashville or Nash Vegas. Where to stay? Well, I've been traveling to Nashville for 20-plus years. Often it's for a convention. Other times it's just general business. And, of course, the best times is for pleasure. If you are there for a convention, more than likely you'll be staying at the Gaylord Opryland Resort and Convention Center. And here's why. C-Vent, who pretty much handles all of the uh, management, meeting, events, and hospitality technology, rate that property is number one on their list of top 100 meeting hotels in the United States. They have 86 event rooms. Over 750,000 square feet of event space, the largest of which will accommodate 10,000 people. And for all of those side meeting, side meeting, breakout meetings, they have 106 breakout rooms. There's more than 15 restaurants and lounges and more than 14 specialty retail shops on site. Over the past 20 years, I've done at least six conventions there, one of which we actually hosted. Every visit has been flawless. I have no idea how these people turn out so much food, so much drinks, and be able to turn a meeting space into a new configuration without ever breaking a sweat. Truly mind-boggling. It is also advertised as a resort as well as a convention center. The resort part is just what might appeal to the kids. 
a four-acre, three-level luxury indoor-outdoor water experience called Sound Waves. Uh, my wife and I were there last Christmas for a bunch of the uh, events uh, from the Christmas Story Ice House to uh, sledding, uh, endless things to do there for the kiddos as well as the adults. For business travel, there is a cluster of hotels right outside the airport on Donaldson Pike. Lots of restaurants close by and within minutes of I-40 and I-24, the two main arteries. When it comes to pleasure, there is only one place for me, and that is the Hilton Garden Inn, Nashville downtown. It's located on the east end of Nashville, close enough to the bar scene so you can walk, but far enough away so that you don't get to hear all the bar noise. If you've never been to Nashville, I suggest starting out with one of the Old Town Trolley Tours. 15 stops, it's hop on, hop off. You'll see the Centennial Park that I talked about earlier. The first stop is, of course, the George Jones Museum, $17 to enter, with the centerpiece being George's green John Deere tractor that earned him a DUI after his wife hit his car keys. If you don't know much about George Jones, in the 80s, he had two major problems, alcohol being one of them and showing up for concerts being the other, which earned him the nickname of No Show Jones. Another stop is the Marathon Motor Works. This is an old Motor Works building that's been converted into a village housing American Pickers. So if you're uh, familiar with Mike Wolf's show, American Pickers, he actually has a store as well as Nelson's Greenbrier Distillery, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Another stop is the Gulch. So if you're into shopping, eating, and want some Instagram photo opportunities, the Gulch is the place to do it. Uh, another stop was Bobby's Idle Hour. This is a stop that's on Music Row, and Bobby's is the only bar on the block. So if you happen to stop by on a Wednesday afternoon, you're in for quite a treat as they have Sam Jams. It's nothing but songwriters singing original songs. You also have to hit up the Trilogy, the Country Music Hall of Fame. 26 bucks, but you can save a few dollars by buying a package from the Old Town Trolley. The tour will take anywhere from two to three hours. The facade out front looks like a piano keyboard. Thumbs up for whoever put that design together. The museum will make an impact. Even if you're not a big country music fan, there's a lot of history there, a lot of neat stuff. From there, you can walk over to the Ryman Auditorium. It's a self-guided tour that will run you about $22. It will take less than two hours. Uh, the Ryman story is more interesting than I ever imagined. And the structure is this rest restored architectural masterpiece. Beautiful stained glass, beautiful hardwood bench seats, which I'm sure aren't very comfortable. They're still holding shows during our last visit there. I think Tony Bennett as well as Trace Atkins were holding concerts. And no trip to Nashville would be complete without a stop at the Grand Old Opry. Tickets range anywhere from 45 to 100 bucks. The performances are all less than three hours. If you're buying tickets in advance, you will be purchasing without knowing the performers because they post who's going to be attending about seven days before the show. The night we were there, we saw John Carley, the Del McCroy Band, Lori Morgan, Chris Jansen. Jamie Johnson and Charlie Daniels were supposed to be there and turned out that they had to cancel due to illness. One cool thing was the night that we were there, Chris Jansen was inducted into the Grand Old Opry family by none other than Garth Brooks. So the place went absolutely nuts. Nobody knew Garth was showing up. So that was kind of a neat treat. Speaking of music, music and booze goes hand in hand and no place better to get both than Nashville. 
For music, check out Tootsies. It's located behind the Ryman Auditorium. It has three stages that host live local talent each and every night. All kinds of artists. The building is this vibrant pink that you can't miss, and they claim the colors come from a paint mixture that was supposed to save money and more than likely can't ever be recreated. And Tootsie kind of backs up to the Ryman. So one of the stories that we heard during the Ryman tour was that a lot of performers would go and spend their afternoon at Tootsie's, run out the back door, into the back door of the Ryman and do their set and then head back over to Tootsie's afterwards. The Wild Horse Saloon, you've probably seen this on CMT, another great place for live music. The food is amazing. The local beer is cold. If you're looking to line dance, they offer free lessons. And as they say, don't walk the line, dance it. So here's my one story about the Wild Horse Saloon. The place is going to be hopping no matter what day of the week it is. It's located on 2nd Street. It will be packed. I did a conference there a few years ago. You guys all remember conferences, right? When we all got together and had fun and talked about stuff. Well, one of the vendors rented out all three floors for the evening. Everything covered. Food, drink, a personalized concert from the country rock duo Adair's Run. At the end of the night, there's something to be said for free food, booze, and music. And then a ride back to the Gaylord Hotel in a custom motor coach. For booze, let's start with something simple, beer. Yazoo Brewing Company, brewed in Nashville, Tennessee, widely distributed across Tennessee and Mississippi. My favorite is their double IPA, a very hefty 7.2 APV. You can only get it in draft. They produce nine beers year-round and then do a quarterly or seasonal offering every three months. They even have a kiosk in the Nashville airport, so you can grab a six to go on your way back. Just don't drink it on the plane. And actually, Yazoo, the first time I saw it, I thought possibly that it was a Mississippi brewer. It never really dawned to me, but it, it is brewed in Nashville, Tennessee. Another stop to consider is the Rock Bottom. This is on downtown Nashville as well. It could be easy to call foul on this being a local or a craft brewery, other than the fact that they do brew at each one of their locations. And if you want to enjoy their beer, you got to purchase a growler to go because they don't really do a lot of distribution. I visited some of their other locations. I think they have one in Cincinnati. Uh, the night we were there, the afternoon, it was a rainy, cold, wet. I think we were there for spring break. Started with a flight of uh, Irish coffee brown ale, Desperado dark lager, the roast beast. <laughs> it was an imperial smoked porter, fire chief ale, rye so mild, and then followed that flight up with a, uh, a sampling of Mama and Papa's pale ale. We just so happened to find a seat during happy hour, which meant half price on beers and appetizers. So there are some deals in Nashville. Now there's more to Nashville than just beer. It has become a whiskey town. But let's take a little tour down Tennessee whiskey history. Question for you. How do you spell whiskey? W-H-I-S-K-E-Y or W-H-I-S-K-Y? Well, both spellings are correct. If you're talking about a drink that's been made in Scotland, Canada, or Japan, they spell whiskey without the E. When referring to drinks coming from or distilled in the U.S. or Ireland, there is an E in whiskey, W-H-I-S-K-E-Y. I'm sure most of us have heard of Prohibition. If you hadn't, that was when you couldn't get booze, and it ran from January 17th of 1920 all the way through to December 5th of 1933. 
Tennessee remained dry all the way up until 1939, six years after Prohibition ended. And while the laws destroyed the legal, I repeat, legal spirit trade in Tennessee, Tennesseans across the state kept making whiskey and maintained Tennessee's reputation as a place for fine whiskey as well as moonshine. The Jack Daniels Distiller reopened as soon as the law allowed, which was like 1940. George Dickel returned into production in the 50s. If you get a chance, find yourself a bottle of George Dickel's Bottled in Bond. It's got a blue label. It's amazing. Uh, and both of these distilleries began rebuilding the once proud legal to spirit industry in Tennessee. And then in the mid-1990s, Pritchard's Distillery opened Tennessee's first craft distillery, and that's where progress stalled. Fast forward to 2009, and Tennessee began reforming its Prohibition-era laws and eliminated many of the insurmountable legal barriers to enter it. Since then, the number of Tennessee distilleries have grown from just those three, Daniels, Dickel, and Pritchard, to somewhere around 30 across the state. And the distilleries range from a small boutique-style operation, making you know traditional spirits as well as innovative-type spirits, all the way up to the big distilleries that do production. Another Tennessee whiskey factoid, all Tennessee whiskey is from Tennessee, duh. But that does not mean that all whiskey from Tennessee qualifies as Tennessee whiskey. For example, Old Smoky Distillery, which began operation about 10 years ago in 2010, is located in Tennessee and produces a whiskey product, but the product can't be sold as Tennessee whiskey because it is not aged. Instead, it's legally classified as a corn whiskey then rather than carrying the Tennessee whiskey label and is marketed as Tennessee, Tennessee moonshine. Legally, Tennessee whiskey has to be aged four years. So if someone is telling you that they have a bottle of 2010 or 2011 single barrel Tennessee whiskey that didn't come from Jack Daniels or Dickel or Pritchard's, they're absolutely full of it. The reason 2009 was when the additional distilleries were allowed to begin production and Tennessee whiskey has to be aged four years. So many of these newly launched distilleries had to find ways to survive the first four years as their production run aged. Many of these distilleries decided to switch to vodka and gin, while others shipped in whiskey from other distillers and blended them and bottled them as whiskey, but not Tennessee whiskey. So that ends your Tennessee whiskey history lesson of the day. This past December, we took a quick trip up to Nashville and booked a whiskey tour. I'm going to talk about three of the distilleries that we visited. The first one is Pennington's, and this comes directly from their website. I really need a deep voice for this, but whiskey takes time. In fact, the very process of time defines whiskey. Aging the distilled spirits in oak barrels is what brings out familiar and exciting flavors. So we think a lot about time around here. Like the time we decided to open up a distillery when we knew we wouldn't be able to taste the aged fruits of our labor until many years later. Here's my take on it. When two ladies run the sample station, you know you're in for a good time. This is a family-run distillery with a very solid product. I enjoy a product when there's thought that goes into the packaging. For instance, their Pickers Vodka bottle, get it named Pickers, has a fretboard on the bottle, the label resembles a ticket to the Ryman Theater. There's a cutout of a guitar pick. All of these things are homage, are paying homage to Nashville. Great pot product placement, great label design. 
If you do this tour, make sure you get to hear the Mrs. Butterworth story. I'll give you the cliff notes. It certainly won't have the detail that they have. But during the tour, you'll see a Mrs. Butterworth syrup bottle sitting on the ledge of one of the stills. It's probably got an eighth of an inch of dust on it. Don't know if it's full. Don't know if it's empty. But the story goes they were having some kind of party on one of their production runs. And somebody, for whatever reason, brought this bottle of Mrs. Butterworth syrup. And whatever food they were eating, I guess they put it on it, left the bottle there. Turns out that that production run was either one of their most profitable or one of the most tasteful ones or tasty ones they've ever done. And so somebody blamed it on the bottle or credited it to the bottle of Mrs. Butterworth syrup. And so that bottle has stood still there. It must be a number of years by the amount of dust on it. So make sure you take the tour. Make sure they tell you the Mrs. Butterworth story. If they don't, point out to the bottle and ask them what that's all about. From there, I would suggest going to Nelson's Greenbrier Distillery. And the Nelson story is fascinating. Here's another cliff notes. The Nelson family was from a small town in North Germany. Charles was the eldest of six children whose father, John Philip Nelson, owned a soap and candle factory. When Charles was roughly 15, his dad decided that he wanted to move the whole family to America for a better life. He sold his soap and candle factory, converted all of his family's earthly possessions into gold, and had a special clothing or jacket made to hold all of the gold on his person during the journey overseas. In late October of 1850, John gathered his family, boarded a boat, and set sail for America as fate would have it. Intense storms and gale force winds sent many of the nearly 180 passengers overboard. John Philip Nelson was one of those unfortunate souls, and he was weighted down by the family fortune that had been sewed into his clothing, and he sank directly to the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean. Luckily, the rest of the family arrived safely in New York, but only with the clothes on their back, and 15-year-old Charles suddenly found himself the man of his house. Charles and his brothers began making soap and candles as they did in Germany, eventually making their way down to Nashville, where Charles opened a grocery store with the three biggest sellers being coffee, meat, and whiskey. Charles focused on the whiskey production until Prohibition set in and closed up shop. Roughly 2006, some of Charles's descendants decided to reopen, becoming the present-day Nelson's Greenbrier Distillery. The website goes through a whole bunch more detail about the, the journey of what all took place and transpired, but fascinating story. Lots of history on this tour. I suggest you start the tour with an old-fashioned, and why not? You're on a whiskey tour. The sampling is actually pretty well organized and includes a lesson on how to correctly sample whiskey, how to nose it, uh, you drink out of Glencairn glasses, what the significance of that glass is, and how it helps to uh, to open up the whiskey. So that's a fun, fun tour. What do you get if you take a former DNA laboratory director who decides to put a science background to the art of making distilled spirits? Well, you get the Nashville Craft Distillery. This place has been around since mid-2016. It's located in the Wedgwood-Houston neighborhood just outside of downtown Nashville. This is a very, very new distillery. It should have a very bright future. But if you really want to know the science behind distilling spirits, then this is the place. They have a great tasting session that included some really random samples. I think I enjoyed their golden biscuit, as well as some absinthe, complete with the sugar cube. If you've never had absinthe, they had the sugar cube with the swinging uh, 
I don't even know what you call it, but the, the sugar cube swings back and forth as it drips down or as the absence drips down on it. Really cool presentation. Of course, there's Jack Daniels. We've talked about that on our Chattanooga episode. It's probably an hour and a half south of Nashville. Again, if you even if you're not a whiskey person, do yourself a favor. Go to Jack Daniels. It's well worth it. One place that I have not been in Nashville is the Dickel Distillery, and I have no idea why. It's just one of those things that I think we've kind of always overlooked. And what whiskey tour would be complete without a vineyard? And in this case, it's Arrington Vineyards. It opened up in 2007, and they've been providing a wine country experience. It's a beautiful location, beautiful plantation, uh, all the way complete with tastings as well as a dinner and a, a couple fire pits that you can sit by, sit by and taste the wine. It's owned by country music artist Kix Brooks from Brooks and Dunn. Uh, he partnered with winemaker Kip Summers and Nashville businessman John Russell. And Arrington has truly become or setting the pace for Nashville's wine country. Well, you know me and you know we got to talk about food. A few Nashville food terms, meat and three. This is exactly what it sounds like, meat and three sides. So the meat could be anything from fried chicken to pulled pork to brisket, country ham. And the choice of sides could be anything from mac and cheese, baked beans, collard greens, and so forth. And, of course, don't forget fried green tomatoes. And Nashville is famous for their meat and threes. The other term to know is Nashville hot chicken. And when you're in Nashville, you have to have some Nashville hot chicken. A few years ago, I was in Nashville with a coworker. Late morning, the subject of lunch came up, and the suggestion was a place called Gus's Hot Chicken, and we headed out. A few minutes after our food arrived, I looked over at my coworker, and he had just beads of sweat across his forehead and on his eyebrows, and they were actually beginning to run down his face. After he slammed a few gulps of water, he explained that he thought the hot and hot chicken referred to the temperature and not the spice level. And I said something along the lines of, have you ever heard of a cold chicken restaurant? Well, in case you haven't figured it out by now, the hot in Nashville hot chicken refers to the spice. And this is a marinated water-based blend of seasoning, floured and fried, and finally covered in this paste that has been spiced up with cayenne peppers. Normally it's served atop just good old classic white bread, throw in a couple pickle chips. It's the application of that spicy paste and that presentation that differs it from everything else because you're immediately going to think of buffalo wings. Well, buffalo wings don't come with pickles and they don't come on slices of bread. When you go to Nashville, everyone will tell you that the go-to place for hot chicken is Hattie B's. And it's not a bad suggestion, but expect to wait as the line begins to form before their opening. You can place your order online to cut down on some of the wait time, but you are going to wait. And if you've got plenty of time, believe me, it's well worth it. But if you're not willing to wait, you can check out Gus's, like I mentioned. Prince's is good. There's a place called 400 Degrees. If this is the first time you've ever tasted Nashville hot chicken, you're not going to know the difference between Hattie B's or any of the other places. If your friends ask you if you ate at Hattie B's, tell them you found a better place and you will instantly become a neighborhood legend. Another place that I suggest checking out is Martin's Barbecue Joint. This is directly across from the Hilton Garden Inn. And after you smell hickory smoke for three straight days, you will eventually wander in. And we have, and we've been back multiple times on our last visit. It was a major football weekend. 
made the place packed, but we found a seat in less than two minutes and had drinks in our hand probably a minute later. A great local beer selection mixed with a uh, big selection of Nashville spirits. I went with the brisket tacos, just the right amount of uh, smoke flavor combined with pickled red onions and cilantro. Barbecue is another one of those places that was close to a hotel I was staying at. I went with the pork plate, fries, and Brunswick stew. The fries were the frozen crinkly type, pretty standard for a barbecue joint. Look, you're not going there for fries anyway. The Brunswick stew was a big thumbs up, and the pork was absolutely moist and flavorful. What made it even better was the variety of barbecue sauces. They had the mustard-based all the way up to vinegar-based, and they had them all right on the table for you. We found ourselves at a place called Burger Up after long wait times at every other burger joint within a 15-mile radius. Started the meal with fried mac and cheese bites. Absolutely wonderful. It's fried mac and cheese. What's not to like? The Woodstock Burger was the main course, and it did not disappoint. And, of course, they offer a full bar with a, again, solid selection of local beers. Most of these places you're going to find are going to stay local. They're going to think local. You're going to drink local. You're going to eat local. I talked about Bobby's Idle Hour Tavern earlier. If you like dive bars and quality live music, then Bobby's is the place. Day drinking cannot be beaten. And if you do it on Bobby's on a Wednesday, then you'll get the experience. Sam's Jams, an afternoon of all original music. Side note, if you're in town doing the vacation thing, Bobby's is the only bar on Music Row, so get off that Old Town Trolley tour and have a drink. One thing I can tell you since we're still pre or mid-pandemic, whatever term you want to use, make sure you check out any of those locations before you head out so you know what kind of operating restrictions they're under, if they're operating, if they've got limited hours, what's required. Uh, Nashville is a great town for a long weekend or a long week excursion. If you get bored in Nashville, it is probably your own damn fault. So I want to say thanks for listening. If you have a comment, you can leave a voicemail on Anchor or hit me with an email at travelfrick at gmail.com. That's travelfrick at gmail.com. Each day we're getting closer to traveling and me returning to travel safe. Look at me. I'm on the road again this week. But until then, let's just stay safe. And again, thanks for listening. Hey, wait a second. Don't go. Make sure you check out all the blogs over at HypeAmerica.com. From food to travel to just general life humor, we cover all the topics. Thanks again.